This is the Startups A to Z podcast. I'm Hillary Hirsch. And I'm Mark Sholin. Hillary and I are here to share conversations all about the Arizona startup community. So here we are again, Hillary. Yes, uh, here we are again. Yeah, another episode. I um, wanted to mention to our audience here, you know, in an effort to uh, try to be as engaging as possible, uh, Hillary and I had some Thai food before we came. We wanted to spice things up a bit, get uh, get our metabolism going. Yes. Ever so slightly. So we'll see if that pays off or not. Um, oh, our guest is making some sort of hand gestures here. We'll get, get I wanted to, some. Get to him. Oh, okay. Well, I do have some leftovers in my car. I will take it. Yes, in the boiling heat. I'm yeah. sure it'll taste it'll, delicious. It'll warm. Don't forget to follow us at Startups A to Z. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. And subscribe to iTunes or your favorite podcast library of choice. So it's time to say hello to our guest for today's episode. Uh, our guest today is Miguel Hardin. Hi, Miguel. Hi. Good to see you, Miguel. You um, I think the three of us, uh, we go back a little ways at least, so it's definitely going to be a, a hopefully a very friendly conversation. Yes, uh, old friends <laughs> over a campfire. Right. So, uh, Hillary, tell us a little bit about Miguel, and then we'll, uh, we'll go into our topic for today. Sure. So, Miguel is the manager of tech commercialization at the Arizona Commerce Authority. The Arizona Commerce Authority has a lot of entrepreneurial programs, which Miguel will get into, and he spearheads a lot of those programs. And the topic that uh, you've chosen for us today, Miguel, to discuss is um, is financing options for startups in Arizona. Yes. And maybe looking at more alternative forms than what uh, we Im- might immediately think of as entrepreneurs and that might be, um, you know, sometimes challenging to access. So there's lots of other options there that um, part of your job is to educate people on. So... Miguel, let's begin our our conversation here and um, tell me a bit about what motivated you to select this as our topic for today. So uh, prior to joining the ACA, I too was an entrepreneur uh, in clean tech and know how difficult it is uh, to raise capital. Uh, And so when I joined the ACA, my primary responsibility is running the Arizona Innovation Challenge It's a $3 million annual grant that we give to early-stage science and technology companies. Uh, Very, very competitive, four-month vetting process. Uh, But even though it's really easy to celebrate the winners of that contest, um, I think the real value are all of the other businesses that uh, don't win. And they're left wondering, you know, what's next? Uh, the the prize money is 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 a nice chunk of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That only goes to six uh, companies, but as many as one hundred and fifty companies apply. So, um, you know, when you're looking at the types of companies that apply, we're generally looking at uh, software companies, uh, hardware, uh, clean tech, biotech, advanced manufacturing, advanced materials, and aerospace and defense. And each of those industries um, lend themselves to different financing options besides equity that a lot of entrepreneurs aren't familiar with. There's uh, a particular path that has developed in the Arizona entrepreneurial ecosystem for how to get capital. Um, They tend to favor one industry more than another. And so really wanting to help 
educate entrepreneurs on some of the other options out there, give them some terminology to, to Google, uh, give them some workshops to attend, um, and hopefully from that they'll get uh, the capital that they need uh, for the appropriate stage that their business is in and, and get their, their dream realized. Well, I think it's really important that you can see that whole fundraising puzzle from both sides of the table and uh, in giving that perspective, um, but particularly when it comes to clean tech and having to build physical material. Yeah. Because right? I think that <laughs> we've heard even on previous episodes of this show that, uh, you know, Arizona is pretty strong on the IT side of things and, and building software companies, um, but it's... We have some a bit of catching up to do, at least when it comes to having uh, founding new startups that can build stuff you hold in your hands. And yes. So I think both you and I have some experience in that realm, and yeah, I, I definitely can second the, uh, the the challenges that come with fundraising, yeah. particularly for equity, mm -hmm. um, because you know any early stage company where uh, the proof of concept and be, to be able to achieve that proof of concept uh, in having to build something to do that, real tough. So I definitely look forward to getting some of your thoughts on these uh, sorts of alternative um, fundraising opportunities that there that might be out there that um, that aren't that don't immediately come to mind, mm -hmm. but that at the same time could be really great for uh, you know more specialized companies. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and likewise, you know, I always hear about companies who want to bootstrap. It's that famous buzzword we love to hear, but they want to bootstrap because they don't want to give up equity or parts of their business along the way. And so, Miguel, that's something that, you know, I really want to touch on on this episode is probably educating people on, yeah, there are times to bootstrap, but then there are times that when you need to scale, we need to scale. And um, how do we find those alternative sources? I hope to provide some insight into at least how to get started with that. Wonderful. I'll start out by saying that, uh, you know, at, at the ACA, uh, amongst economic development organizations, uh, we're unique in that we do have a group that is focused on entrepreneurs, on, on startups. And so that gives us an opportunity to go out into the ecosystem um, besides the programs that we have um, and the partnerships, um, also just to listen. Uh, go to the go to the networking events. Go to the happy hours uh, and find out what are those frustration points for entrepreneurs. And um, believe it or not, one of the other groups of people that we get to interact with are banks. Um, and all of this uh, really kind of came from talking with a bunch of bankers, uh, and they said, "Hey, we really want to we want to work with startups." And my first question to them is, great, are you going to relax some of your collateral requirements? And they're like, nope. And I said, well, how do you exactly do you propose on working with banks? And they said, well, you know, there's a lot of things that entrepreneurs need to start doing today so that we can work with them in the future. Um, and we need a history of knowing that they know how to manage their money. And the best way that we can see that uh, is if they have financial statements that they've been uh, putting together. And we're not talking about pro forma financial statements. We're actually talking about how you actually spend money. And so one of the big things that they, uh, they mentioned is that um, it's never too early to start a QuickBooks account. 
Um, it going through that process uh, is iterative. As the company grows, uh, QuickBooks will get more refined, but it will also uh, show the bank over a period of time, and generally it's two years, um, what you're spending money on and that you know how to organize the money that you do have such that as you get more money or as you get a loan, uh, they know you have all the systems in place to make sure that you are making your payments on time. And so in talking with them, um, you know, we started thinking a little bit more about how we get this information out to the entrepreneurs. And uh, based on some other conversations, ultimately came up with this idea called Money Week. And the idea behind Money Week is to communicate to entrepreneurs that there are other options out there, and this is how you go after them. Uh, I've sort of taken to saying that there's a particular formula in the ecosystem right now for how you get money, um, especially if you're a software company, you're following um, lean startup uh, methodology, you're developing a minimum viable product, uh, you're trying to get some beta customers, getting that traction, um, maybe applying to something like the AIC, um, and then ultimately that that leads to the angel community uh, finding you and being attracted to you. Um, but if you need money to make your first prototype, for instance, uh, if you need a facility to actually service your customer, that can be a lot more challenging. Um, and believe it or not, debt is a really good way of dealing with that. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs will start to freak out about that. Um, but debt for a business is a really, really good thing because it, first of all, it gives you something to put into QuickBooks. Um, and that's, that's useful later on down the road. The other thing is that it uh, saves the equity. Um, so then the next question is, you know, where do you get that debt? And that's one of the things that we're looking at doing with, with Money Week is bringing in uh, those um, entities, those firms that are willing to lend money to startup companies that have something tangible, like a piece of equipment. Um, a piece of equipment is a great thing to get debt on because the equipment itself can act as a portion of the collateral. And so that, that's the kind of information that we want to be able to get out to the community. So, Miguel, with the accounting and with QuickBooks, uh, you made it sound pretty easy the way you were describing putting it all together. But certainly, <laughs> I know in the early days, it's always been a challenge for me to figure out the right balance of um, how much of the accounting to do myself versus mm -hmm. outsourcing it and how much that should cost mm -hmm. and is it really worth it, um, all these sorts of things. Because, I mean, the way that I think a lot of people – run their businesses, particularly in that startup stage, maybe, uh, you know, pre-revenue is just kind of keeping a mental tally and looking at your transactions on your, on your online banking. Um, so, I mean, what would you, like, I'd love to hear about how you sort of tackled um, that evolution within your past business about getting that accounting in order and, um, and you know, uh, being more disciplined about, uh, staying on top of it such that you can try to leverage um, leverage those records for whatever you need to in the future. 
Yeah, so there are a bunch of ways that you can approach that. Um, so uh, the first thing you can do is just keep all your receipts. Um, I know when uh, I was with, with the company that I had, um, I was making a lot of runs to Home Depot. Um, you know, something wasn't working. The design uh, didn't seem to, to be what I thought it was going to be, or darn it, I needed an extra screw. And so off I ran to Home Depot. Um, in the middle of summer in Phoenix, by the way, that's that's not a nice thing yeah, to I do. Yeah, it's not sound pleasant. Uh, yeah. like, I'm yeah. sweaty. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, just kept all the receipts. It's the, uh, you know, the proverbial uh, receipt in the shoebox thing. Um, and then when, uh, you know, all of that was done uh, and I really started the process of raising capital, uh, it was a two-week process of sitting down um, with QuickBooks um, and this box of receipts and organizing everything and creating that history of how I spent things, why I spent um, that money at that particular time. Uh, and it was arduous. So to answer your uh, first question, what do you spend money on? Somebody who can do that. Uh, I, I had the advantage of, believe it or not, um, I like uh, accounting. Uh, once upon a time, I thought I was going to be a CPA. Uh, so sitting down and, and organizing this stuff uh, was okay for me. But even then, it got tedious after a while. Sure, a bit of a rare case because I certainly Very am not saying. I mean, as comfortable as I am with numbers, uh, for whatever reason, I just um, I can't get into QuickBooks as far as like just using it consistently. So I mean, I outsource that part. Yes, and and I, that's what I would recommend. Um, and even even though I knew what I was doing, I still ended up um, going to uh, a firm and saying, "Hey, can you verify?" Uh, what I did in QuickBooks. Now, the other thing that you can do is just go to them with your shoebox and say, here, put, put this thing together for me. Um, and, and that can range. I, I, I couldn't even imagine um, quoting something. But, I mean, you'd probably want to allocate at least a couple, a couple thousand bucks to it, um, depending wow. on how long, you know, you've been uh, collecting these receipts. Uh, but it's well worth it. Because once that system, they'll build the system for you, and then they'll educate you on how how the whole thing works. See, if it were up to me, I would almost want that to be its own separate seminar for Money Week, and you know, maybe tied into uh, the financial literacy or financial terminology uh, day about just how you know, just very nice practical tips as to um, how very early stage startups can just get a handle on that and become disciplined with um, categorizing their expenses now uh, versus having to play catch up later. Mm -hmm. Because not only uh, will you have the records that you can use for uh, financing of any type, but then, I mean, I, I feel like it, it does make you just more disciplined as a business person. And, it does. Um, yeah. And giving you a better feel for your burn rate, among other things. Mm -hmm. and, and that's important to know. Yeah, because um, like when it, I, it'll fluctuate, yeah. but it's important to know how it's fluctuating. Correct, uh, because it's just for whatever reason. I mean, maybe I'm I'm an exception, but I um, I just I didn't really assign as much importance to that side of the business as I probably should have in the very early days, and I ended up having to uh, play catch up, and it's cost me way more money than it should have. Not only um, 
to get things in order, but to also find a good service provider yeah. that right. could uh, do things and that I could trust. I'm just blown away right now. It seems so simple to manage that early aspect of just holding on to receipts. And to think that that is a huge deal when it comes to getting money someday mm-hmm. just doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> um, you know, the thing – the th- business and one's personal finances um, look a lot alike. Uh, it, there might be different terminology, but at the end of the day, money is coming in and money is going out. And all the terminology around it just describes that. Money coming in and money going out. So it, it, it's it's if one's not very versed with uh, one's own personal finances, because it's really easy, right? Especially if you've got a paycheck coming in all the time. Um, you know, ah, just wait a couple of days and there's money that pops in there. But if all of a sudden you decide that you're going to jet out on your own and you're going to go after your dream, um, that consistency of money coming in to save your butt uh, is not there. And so you might get uh, a little bit of money once a month, once every 45 days, um, and you need to do a projection on what you need to spend, what you're going to spend money on, um, and make decisions about what you can and cannot do. And so that's where the business side of it really starts to mature the way that you think about your personal finances. So, Miguel, let's talk a little bit about debt financing and when a company should consider debt financing and when they shouldn't. So, Say I'm a company and I need to make payroll. That's something you don't use a bank loan for, right? Yeah, no. Um, it's a leading question. Yeah, it's a tough <laughs> one too. <laughs> it's a great question. Um, and so let me roll up my sleeve here so I can uh, answer that. Um, yeah, there are some expenses uh, that are better suited to uh, debt than others. So um, if you're going to um, buy a piece of equipment, great thing to, to, to take a loan out on. Uh, if you are looking at uh, needing money to make payroll, then you want to probably try to establish a line of credit uh, with a bank such that um, it's a small amount of money, uh, relatively speaking, a small amount of money that you have access to uh, to deal with cash flow issues. Uh, so let's say that you know uh, you have uh, $20,000 of um, accounts receivable coming in. So you've delivered the product. The, the customer has 30 days uh, before they have to pay you. But guess what? On day 15, you have to pay your employees, yourself, or, or, or your own bills. Um, so knowing that that money is coming in and being reasonably assured um, that you can pay that back very quickly, i.e. less than um, 30 to 60 days, uh, a line of credit might be a really good thing to have. Um, you are borrowing money. There is interest associated with it, um, but the payback period is, is sooner. That's a good reason to do it. Um, if you're uh, thinking of borrowing, um, they call a five-year note 
um, you know, taking out a loan for $50,000 that you pay over, um, you know, five years so that you can make payroll, that's horrible. You don't want to do that at all because um, that's how you get in trouble with uh, long-term money management. Uh, you take, you know, that money is um, really designed for assets. And if you have this pile of money just sitting there that you think, oh, I don't really have to be very serious about controlling my expenses because I have this pool of money. And they'll use it like, you know, equity money that's come in. Um, and then when that's when that dries up because of poor ma- money management skill and they find themselves in that situation again where they have to make payroll, the bank's going to say, well, you have a five-year note out already. We're not giving you any more money. Uh, so you can, get in, you can get in trouble there. Whereas if you have to deal with that situation um, sooner rather than later, uh, you will make sure that your customer that has 30 days uh, isn't taking 45 days, isn't taking 50 days to pay you. Um, you can put systems in place um, to ensure that that doesn't, doesn't happen so it doesn't put you in a, in a, in a tough spot. Mm-hmm. And that kind of money management mentality uh, and thought process is what the bank's looking for, what investors are looking for. So line of credits are great and all for companies that have some form of recurring revenue that already have product in the marketplace, et cetera. Mm-hmm. However, um, I think that a lot of the technology companies, particularly hardware-based companies in Arizona, don't quite have that sort of, um, that sort of asset that they can rely on mm-hmm. to establish those credits because any money that they raise or need is going towards developing a product that they can ultimately sell. Right. And I bet that a, um, you know, I mean, you're, you're front and center with the innovation challenge. So you, yeah, I'm sure you have a great idea of the proportion of companies are, that are in that stage that, um, you know, might have trouble getting a line of credit because they don't have product they can rely on. So, I mean, what would be, um, you know, the means that you would recommend, uh, apart from applying to the AIC, because everyone does that, mm-hmm. uh, to um, you know, to try to get the sort of development dollars that you need to get to that point where you can actually start bringing in some revenue. So, um, disclaimer here: I am not a financial advisor, nor do I recommend anything that I say being taken as law. Nor are we. Okay, <laughs> good. good. Covered. Okay, there, there is Continue. that. Um, with that said, I'm gonna tell you everything. No, uh, so. <laughs> So, yeah, it, that's, that's an important question. You know, what are the phases uh, that you deal with this? So the first thing, of course, is that, it, you know, if you can go after um, some sort of grant funding, do that. Uh, it's painful. It might take a long time. There are forms to fill out. Uh, and, you know, you're looking at probably anywhere from a three- to six-month process um, of, completing the application before you actually and going through that process before you actually get a check. Um, but I would say go ahead and do that anyway. It might not be your primary um, goal, but you know that it's working in the background as you do all of the other things. So definitely grant funding is a, is a good source. As an entrepreneur, beg, borrow, and steal. Uh, that, that holds true whether you're a software company or whether you're a clean tech company looking to build a facility. Um, however you can get resources legally and ethically, do that. 
Uh, if you need to do trades, uh, do that. If you've got an uncle whose girlfriend does marketing, uh, can take her out to dinner and, and, and give her compliments and get her to do that for you, whatever the case is. If you need, you know, uh, your, your best friend's uncle has a pickup truck and he can move stuff for you, do that um, and buy him a six-pack later or whatever the case is. Um, so there is that. There's the friends and family uh, um, route as well. That needs to be done. And then, you know, assuming that you finally get to the point where your prototype is complete um, and you you can make something, you know, your widget, you, you have product that you can sell, that's when the salesman comes out, right? That's when you get... You slick your hair back, uh, you, you brush your teeth, um, and you go hit the pavement. Go look for customers. Uh, and this comes back to that, uh, you know, the original money or the mother of all money. Um, convince your customers that using, you know, having your prototype uh, in hand, uh, you're the best thing since sliced bread. Get them excited about it. And then get them to say, if I had this product or solution, I would buy it. And they can do that very simply through a letter of intent. Um, and it's, it, it's not entirely binding to them. You know, they can put enough provisions in there that says, if you produce this product and if it has these um, qualifications and characteristics and if it's done within this period of time, I'll buy it. And then on the entrepreneur side, they're going to say, okay, um, I need to know the quantity that you're going to buy at the price you're going to pay for it. So let's say that they agree to buy um, a thousand units of your of your product at a um, dollar a piece. That's a thousand dollar piece of paper, and that is the kind of thing that you can go to, um, for instance, a factoring company. And a factoring company is a, a company that uh, will take that piece of paper. They will loan you some percentage of it you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 80%. Um, And so they will give you $800 in cash um, and they will assume the rights to that $1,000 piece of paper. And then you'll take that $800 and you will use it to buy inventory or whatever the case and you will make a product and you will deliver it to the customer. And when the customer gets it, they will pay you $1,000. And so you give that $1,000 to the factoring company. Now, the whole motivation for the factoring company is that they're going to make the spread of 20%. So they like that. They gave you $800, and they're getting back 1000 bucks. They've made $200 on the deal. So that's the motivation for them. And all of this was done just by sweet-talking a lot of people. It's like you sold the thing before you actually had it, but you have confidence in yourself. You have confidence that the solution that you've put together, that widget that you've made, actually does what it's supposed to do. And so that's a great way to bootstrap it. And that's one of those formulas that um, we found that entrepreneurs might not be entirely familiar with because, you know, factoring, um, selling something before you have it, um, the art of selling, uh, getting getting a, a letter of intent, an LOI, knowing what that is and how to write one of those things. Um, by the way, you can Google a lot of this stuff and get good enough examples. Um, it's and, and sort of a sidebar on that. It doesn't have to 
to be like massively bulletproof, right? You don't have to go and get uh, an attorney. Sorry, attorneys out there. You don't need an attorney to um, bless a letter of intent. Um, As long as the factoring company uh, accepts it, and you can talk to them about that, have a conversation early on. You know, before you go talk to the customer, go talk to the factoring company, and you tell the factoring company, hey, I produce these kind of widgets. If I can get my products sold, what do you what do you want to see? And they'll tell you what they want to see in that piece of paper. And then when you go and talk to the customer, you make sure that that's in that piece of paper. And so you're lining all this stuff up long before, you know, you actually get the money. But you know as soon as you get that money what's going to happen. So on the flip side yes. of all of that, I'm not very familiar with factoring, but I, you know, certainly understand the concept. There will be a panel at Money Week that has sure. that. Great. So <laughs> I hope, I hope, I hope, as part of that panel, that uh, there's discussion of risk, not yes. only of working with a company like that, but uh, just uh, taking any form of of uh, funding, equity, debt, otherwise. Talk to me, Miguel, a bit about you know what you feel like the uh, the way that. Um, you know, the attitude that early stage entrepreneurs should take when it comes to risk in looking at these more alternative forms of funding that uh, are going to be covered during Money Week. For example, start with the factoring company. Like, what would happen if uh, that LOI falls through or that your product isn't going to be working to the specs that you said it could in the LOI? I mean, what's going to, you know, what is the ramification? Uh, the ramification is that you're on the hook for it. Uh, the ramification is that the factoring company is still going to come back and say, "Look, I don't, uh, I don't care where you get the money from. You have to, you have to pay it back." Um, many times you can have a conversation to buy a little bit more uh, time, um, but you're going to have to pay that back. And if you don't, the uh, they will report you to um, the uh, the equivalent of, you know. Equifax for uh, companies, which is sometimes done in Bradstreet, um, and it will show that this business can or cannot uh, pay its bills on time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there is that equivalent of a credit report for your business, and you want to make sure that that's kept in good standing. Um, before a bank will, um, will loan money, they will check your credit, your business's credit, uh, to find out if you can pay your bills on time. They'll also check, th- this is where your, um, your QuickBooks uh, will save you because it'll show that you have uh, product that you, excuse me, inventory that you have bought. It's on the books. Um, it will show that you've delivered it to a customer in the form of uh, accounts receivable that's on the books. Um, and then they will see where that money comes in. It's on the books. They can see your entire history through your financial statements, and that's one of the reasons why they want you to set that up sooner rather than later. What would be the order then of who you should talk to first and then after that, after that, in, in terms of uh, going for this this form of, uh, you know, let's just use debt financing as an example. Like what's the... Who do you go through first? Who do you maybe save as more of a last resort? And who's in the middle? It's a lot of plates spinning. Um, and some some uh, entrepreneurs might feel extremely uncomfortable with this process that seems to be 
uh, rolling off my tongue like syrup and sweetness. Um, but it's, uh, it's an important thing, especially um, if, you, um, if you're an entrepreneur, because to a certain extent, you're, you're, you're selling stuff um, that you, you feel confident in that you can deliver. So um, in this scenario, uh, assuming a company that has uh, some kind of product, uh, if you have a, a, a product um, that you know that you can make and deliver to a customer um, and you understand the, what they call the supply chain of, uh, of that whole thing, you know, in, uh, resources that are coming in, uh, they're getting manipulated, turning into your product that you then sell. Go talk to the bankers. Um, even if it's just a fact-finding, get the appointment and go talk to the bank. And the, the bankers will sit down and they will give you a piece of paper that has a, a checklist. And it'll seem daunting, but use that checklist because they're telling you this is how we'll work with you. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the other things is that uh, w- what we've started to see now uh, through organizations like Invest Southwest, they're doing investability workshops and go to those workshops. And they have sometimes not really attractive names uh, for an entrepreneur, um, but it's like improving investability um, or uh, how to put together and review your financial statements. You know, it doesn't sound sexy and so entrepreneurs don't want to go to it, but those are the ones that they need to go to. Uh, if for no other reason, then it might not be sexy to the entrepreneur, to the engineer founder. But those are the kind of things that the factoring agency, uh, factoring companies go to, uh, that other bankers go to, um, that project finance firms go to, that PE firms go to, PE uh, private equity firms go to, um, because that's the language that's spoken there is um, valuable to them and they understand what, the, what that means. So if you go to those kind of workshops and those networking events, um, you will get to hear the terminology, you will get to talk to the people, you will get to establish those relationships so that ultimately you can say, hey, what do you need to see so that you would work with me? I've got this widget, this project, this product um, how, how do you think the deal would look? And they will tell you. Um, it might cost you a lunch. Um, it might cost you a cup of coffee, coffee but that's, that's an important thing to do. So start that way. Um, then, uh, you know, presumably you've done some market research uh, and you've identified a customer. Yes, that's important to do. Uh, then go talk to that customer uh, and say, here's... I know that you have this problem. We have this solution. Uh, take a look at this solution. Would you buy it? Uh, not only will the cu- will that potential customer tell you how you might need to adjust your product so that they'll actually buy it, which is incredibly valuable, but they'll also now begin to see trust you um, that hey, you've, you're looking out for their best interest, um, and you're trying to help them be successful in their business. Uh, so that you can eventually go to them and say, okay, um, we've done this for you. Uh, would you help us out by committing to buying a certain number of units at a certain price uh, and putting that in a letter of intent? 
And again, as I said earlier, uh, the things that will be in that letter of intent, you would have learned from having taken that, um, that banker, that factoring firm out for coffee and hearing what they want to see in this piece of paper. Um, then you line all that up and, and so that the listeners are aware you haven't made anything. You probably haven't been in your workshop for weeks now. Um, <laughs> you've been spinning these plates on the business side of your idea, and that's an important place to be. Um, and uh, so, you know, once all this stuff is lined up and you get the signature, you immediately take that piece of paper and you go over to the factoring company, and the factoring company then writes the check and they give it to you, and you now have the money that you can go buy all the stuff that you need. So guess what? You can go back into the workshop and you can start making the things, and you know exactly what you're making, and you know exactly where it's going. Um, and all along that, that way, uh, you put the stuff in QuickBooks. always back in quickbooks always back in quickbooks that's such a cool and creative way to bridge sales and financing together Mm -hmm. they're not separate a lot of these you know things run congruently together all in one yeah um and i'd say that um you know even going further than asking for a letter of intent is to even just ask them don't be bashful and just ask them um, hey, would you be willing to finance yeah. this order? And mm. we'll give you a discount in exchange. Something yes. along those lines. Yes. Yeah. It, it wouldn't hurt to ask, certainly. I'd rather do that than go to any sort of factoring company or, or you know, take on any you know, short-term debt like that, high risk. Right. And it really seems to validate the product, too. It does. For future oh, yeah. customers. It does. And um, I, I think if there's uh, any advice uh, that I would put out there, um, and you know what they say about advice and Anyway, you know what they say about advice. Everyone's got an opinion on things. Um, but you don't get to have pride as an entrepreneur. Um, it might be scary. It might be nervous. But you only get what you ask for. Um, and even if they go, man, you're crazy, go, okay, I might be crazy. But help me not be crazy and, and still help me deliver this, this product to you. Now, what would you be willing to commit to? Um, You know, think of it as uh, a parent that has a sick kid and they really, really want that child to get better. What wouldn't you do for that child? Um, Same thing about your your company. Um, When it's young, um, it's sick, right? It's not getting enough food (laughs) and food is money. And so uh, what do you need to do? And sometimes that's just a matter of putting your reputation on the line um, and committing to something. So, yeah, Mark, what you said, uh, customers can be a really good um, source of capital because you can go to them and say, hey, um, I'm going to sell this to you. Uh, it's a thousand bucks, but we need a 20 percent deposit. Totally legitimate uh, thing. Um, and they'll give you the 200 bucks and you can get creative with that, you know, 200 bucks. Again, we're using this example of a thousand widgets at a dollar a piece. Um, but you know, you could use that run to the bank or a bank and say, Hey, I've got $200. Can I put this in a CD as collateral? And you can turn around and loan me, um, $500 so that I can buy, um, the, the, the stuff that I need to make this product to deliver, um, that works too. Um, so, Miguel, I'm curious. Earlier you mentioned that there's sort of a formula 
for entrepreneurs when they go to find capital. What exactly is that formula or what does that mean? And is it, uh, and you said like it's, is it a good formula or one that is in need of some updating too? It is a good formula. And uh, what's, what's nice about that formula is that it's also proven and it has some examples. Um, so I, I think I may have uh, alluded to it before, but it's, uh, it starts out with, uh, you know, friends and family money, uh, beg, borrowing, and stealing, however you need to, to get um, your first, t- you know, run at this solution um, put together, you know, whether that's coding um, or whether that's a, a prototype uh, piece of equipment. Um, and the formula that has uh, bubbled up so far in the ecosystem is one that tends to favor software companies just because um, it, it's easier for them to – there's not a lot that goes in uh, for them to make their product. You know, maybe it's uh, some Red Bull and Snickers. <laughs> so it costs less to it costs less to fail basically or to know that you you failed or succeeded. Correct. Um, correct. Uh, another um, money term that I'll throw in there is runway. Um, how much money do you need and how much runway does that give you? And that means, you know, if your burn rate is $5,000 a month and you have $60,000, um, your runway is 12 months. Um, so uh, you know, the, 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 the investor community knows that a smaller amount of money can go into a software company uh, to create a product and to get it out into the market and then immediately begin to get feedback on do you need to add different features, uh, do you need to improve other features, um, or was this just a bad idea to begin with and n- nobody's going to buy it. Uh, smaller amounts of money uh, to test the market. Um, and so what it's continuing with that formula, uh, you know, you beg, borrow and steal so that you can get that initial product. You then go to the market and you get that validation, um, also known as traction. And that's people using your product and or solution. Um, and then at some critical mass, um, you know, 100,000 users for uh, a software platform, um, a million users, somewhere between 100,000 and a million. Yes, I realize that's a very long, very wide range. Um, but somewhere in there, it, it, it starts becoming easier for you uh, to attract the intention of capital. So then you're now, let's say that you've, you've got this product, um, you've got a few beta users or people who are using your product, you're getting that feedback. Um, they, they may not have paid you yet, but they're using your product and they're um, providing you feedback that's helping you improve uh, your solution. But you've now engaged um, and de-risked the market. So then you can go to something like the AIC um, or uh, Venture Madness, which is another pitch competition in the ecosystem, um, and you can start talking about your business. Um, and maybe win those those contests, which have reinforcing uh, elements to it. So as an example, what we've seen is that um, the application for the AIC um, 
some some of the entrepreneurs say that the challenging part of the Arizona Innovation Challenge is squeezing your great grand idea into these two pages uh, of the application. Um, but that application makes you think about your business in a way that um, allows you to speak to investors intelligently. You know that they're going to ask you about your competitive analysis, uh, your market research. Uh, they're going to want to know what your go-to-market strategy is. They're going to want to know um, that you understand your unit costs and your economics for your business. They're going to want to know um, that you've spent some time thinking about the risks that are associated with your business and what these barriers to entry are uh, to you being successful. So um, you can then use all of the, the, the words uh, that you've developed in the application, and you can take it to the next pitch competition, um, like Venture Madness. Uh, so the application window for the AIC um, is eerily close to the application window for Venture Madness, which is eerily close to the um, intake panel for the Desert Angels or the Arizona Technology Investors. So just get yourself in this mindset beginning mm, right about now in August um, that uh, you're going to learn the business side of your great idea. Uh, we have um, in investors that are just paying attention to the press releases. Uh, they want to know who the semifinalists are for the um, innovation challenge. Then they want to know who the finalists are. Then they want to know who the winners are. Um, and chances are that uh, the semifinalist in the AIC has also gone through the intake panel for the angel group. Uh, and that's just providing additional validation to the angel group that, hey, maybe this is a good company that we need to listen to. Um, so at the same time that AIC semifinalists are completing that 10-page application, um, they're also going and pitching to the angel group. Um, then they're able to present at some point um, to, the, uh, to, the, to the angel group, uh, and they're deliberating um, going through their due diligence process. Uh, and then if that company manages to make it to the finals, um, hey, they just pitched to a whole bunch of angels and now they're pitching to the ACA. Uh, so they already have that whole thing going for them. And then guess what? They win the, 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 uh, the AIC at the same time that, they, um, that the, some investor, some angel um, investor says, hey, I'm going to put money into you because it's been de-risked. You know, the, the ACA has put money into you. We know that you've gone through this vetting process. We've put you through our own vetting process, um, which is why you'll, you'll often see that when we make an announcement of the winner, that winner will also say, hey, we've just raised X amount of money from this angel group. Um, so that's the formula right now that's, that's, that's out in the ecosystem. And in fact, um, I think, so we had Greg Scoresby from Campus Logic on earlier, and I think he followed that formula pretty much to a T, is the way he just described it, because uh, uh, they just had won the latest cycle of the AIC, and then soon after that uh, made the announcement that they closed on another round of funding. Yeah. And I'm sure that there was some interplay between those two things. So, um, yes, Greg is uh, uh, a portfolio company for the, uh, for the ACA. 
And uh, yes, he followed that thing to a T. It's spooky. So uh, I, I'm sure he had talked about it. He, uh, you know, Campus Logic applied uh, in fall, in the fall. Uh, they made it to the uh, finals, but they didn't win. Um, but they had, uh, at, at the same time that they were uh, wrapping up the, uh, the AIC process, they also applied to Venture Madness, which they ultimately ended up winning because of the feedback that they got from all along the, uh, the process with the AIC. They made adjustments to their pitching uh, for Venture Madness. They then won Venture Madness. But guess what? Venture Madness happened right in the middle of the spring season of the AIC. So they took all that knowledge and they had put it into their application for the AIC, made improvements, um, were continuing to make progress, ended up being a finalist again uh, in the spring for the AIC, um, and were, were able to put on their application as validation that they had won Venture Madness. And during that process, they had also um, uh, gone through the intake panel and the due diligence for the um, for the angels. Um, and you know, a really funny thing if if Greg didn't talk about it, he might not have known. Um, so I, I'm managing the, um, the 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 finals, the day of finals, and uh, one of the judges uh, leans over. He had his head down all day, and he was doing some stuff in his computer. Uh, and then he leans over to me as Greg's walking in the door, and he's like, Hey, Miguel, I have to recuse myself from Campus Logic, and then gave Greg a check. And I'm like, Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so a little plug for um, the, the value of having the capital community so involved in so many different aspects uh, of the ecosystem presently. Yeah, uh, I agree with you, and um, as part of my personal experience as well, I think that because the f- of uh, the fact that everyone kind of knows each other and that uh, keep an eye on all the different companies that do make an effort to apply to these things and, and be part of that conversation, that it is important to maintain not only good relationships, but also maintaining a, uh, a good pace of development and progress. Yes. Because if you stall, then um, obviously that looks bad and it would look worse than even if that, you know, you, that was your, the first time they'd ever seen uh, your, your executive summary or just full business mm-hmm. plan. I mean, in fact, ArpSource ran into that issue a little bit. With the AIC during the, um, I don't know, I probably applied to that thing like five times, and we got to the finals at one point. Um, twice. Should have been twice. It was only once. That's my opinion anyway. Okay. The reason for it was because it was exactly what I'm saying is that um, it was determined that uh, based on what was presented, not enough progress had been made between, uh, you know, the latest round and the one prior to it. Yeah. And uh, so it's just maybe a cautionary tale to uh, to share with our audience that, um, you know, uh, if you're going to be uh, going after these sorts of opportunities that are locally based and have a small community that makes decisions around them, that, uh, yeah, you know, make sure that, you know, even if you haven't made as much progress as you would have liked, at least present your material in such a way that, uh, you know, you put your best foot forward. Right. Because I feel like uh, sometimes, and Miguel, uh, let me know if this is right or not, that maybe a lot of people who have applied to the AIC or other things like that here 
multiple times might just do a lot of copying and pasting more so than they should be. And uh, so, you know, what's your comment on that? Oh, Mark, how you know the process. Yes, yes, there is. Uh, One of the other things that I want to also address with regards to relationships, um, the Desert Angels down in Tucson is actually a top 10 angel group for the most amount of deals um, funded last year. Nationwide. Nationwide. Um, So... Uh, they now have uh, a reputation so that if a company here, an, an entrepreneur, um, goes and uh, goes through the, the, the panel, uh, the screening panel, um, or even if they haven't yet, and they decide, you know what, I don't want to be a part of this Arizona thing. I don't want to get any Arizona money. I'm going to go to Silicon Valley. I'm going to go to Boston. I'm going to go someplace else. Um, know that the money world is a small small world. And uh, the first thing that, uh, just as part of their due diligence process, um, let's say that you go talk to a VC in California. The VC is going to say, okay, well, why are you coming? Why is an Arizona company, are you coming all the way to San Francisco? Um, give me an idea of uh, why you didn't get, we know that the Desert Angels is down there. Did you try to get some of that money? Um, and they'll call up the Desert Angels and they'll say, hey, what do you think of this company? Um, and so your reputation will follow you. Um, so, you know, yeah, Jim actually, Jim Gulka made a mention of that, a brief mention of that sort of thing mm-hmm. uh, from his perspective. So uh, clearly there's something to that. Yeah. What? We're in cahoots. Everybody is saying the same thing. <laughs> it's good. Everyone's validating. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Um, no, Miguel, I think that's just some really great insight. And honestly, like you've really opened up my whole perspective on funding for companies that I work with have that have the same questions for me as to how do I get funding for my company? And I'm like, well, have you talked to, you know, private equity firms and this and that? And now I just I have a much greater understanding and portfolio of things that I can talk to them about. Mm. In economic development, that's so important. And so I'm actually going to attend Money Week because I'm so excited to learn more. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, that means I'll actually have to make sure that it's a good thing. <laughs> it's a good event. I'll be tweeting live. Miguel, um, we're going to be taking a quick break here, our sponsor break. When we return, we're going to then wrap up our uh, conversation today with we what we call our executive insight round. And you'll learn what that is shortly. Okay. Yes. Our sponsor for today's episode is the Center for Entrepreneurial Innovation, a division of the Maricopa Corporate College. CEI is a business incubator that provides extensive on-site business development and mentorship to help you validate your idea, commercialize your technology, and scale your business. So if you're a tech startup looking for assistance, visit ceigateway.com and click on the Apply button to get started. And we're back. So now on to the executive insight round. Uh, so yeah, Miguel, these are just a few questions to uh, get some uh, a snap reaction from you. Just whatever comes to mind. It's just a, a fun way to c- uh, cap off each one of these shows and uh, get a little bit of insight into uh, how your brain works. 
Uh oh. Again, for better or for worse. So <laughs> uh, it's not as scary as it sounds. Uh, so we're going to kick it off here. This is a pretty easy one. Um, what's a, a recent interesting book or article that you read that you'd like to share with us? So <laughs> Sharon Stone um, has, uh, she posed, she did an article. Uh, I want to say it's for uh, Vanity Fair or Vogue. Um, and uh, she's, she's in her 60s now. Um, but she took some nude photos. Um, not very revealing, um, you know, just that very artistic thing. Uh, and the, the article was talking about whether, whether or not the, uh, the photos were airbrushed and what are the implications if they were. So um, I read that one earlier this morning. Interesting. I love it. You might have answered this next one already, but I'm going to ask it. See if peanut uh, butter. If you're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Miguel, if you didn't work at the ACA right now in your current occupation, what would you be doing for a living? Entrepreneurship, uh, clean tech, um, clean tech. Yeah, it's it's still very near and dear to my heart. So, uh, if I had the shot, if I had a chance to go after it again, um, two and a half years uh, has gone by. I have healed enough that I could do it again. Yeah, we might need to bring you back on sometime in the future just to focus more on that experience. You know, as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you've had mostly your ACA hat on for today, which is great. But, uh, you know, it just gives you a reason to come back sometime exactly. if, uh, if you're so inclined. I'll, I'll make it back. Yeah. What would be the name of your memoir if you were to write one today? Yoga and Healthy Eating. Sounds more like a, a how-to book than a memoir. It's... um. Those two things uh, have uh, really become a mainstay in my life um, over the last three years. Uh, It started out with um, with the company that I had. It was uh, in in agriculture. I learned more about um, ingredients uh, that go into food, and uh, I I then ended up taking some cooking classes. Um, So I'm not a chef or anything. but every now and again, I'll put something in my mouth that I've made. And I'm like, holy crap, that's good. Right. <laughs> um, and then yoga has, uh, especially as uh, now that I'm older, um, I, I realize, you know, after you, after you hit 40, uh, stuff starts going downhill if you don't use it. So uh, yoga has helped me to use, use my body in a way. Um, and at the same time, it, it's just something that has really resonated with me. So um, and you're not 40 yet, just so people understand. You've still got a long ways to go. No, I am. I'm you 42. Are, you're 42 years old? I'm, I'm I know. Miguel, you do not look over 30. I am 42 <laughs> years so old impressive. and have the scars, some of the scars to show that. Yeah. Miguel, what's a quirky or odd pet peeve that you have? <sighs> okay, this is going to sound weird, but it's... It, People should learn how to hold their knife and fork. Uh, I go into a restaurant and it's like people are killing their their food. They're just like mm. they grab the fork and they like and they're like going back and forth like it's a saw uh, that the knife's a saw. And I I always find myself just like looking and furrowing um, at it. And and usually I have to whoever I'm eating with will. Um, look at me and say what are you what are you staring at and i'm just like they're just killing their meat it's there's no (laughs) finesse um so pet peeve not knowing how to hold your knife and fork 
keep that in mind next time. Yes, I'm going to take <laughs> etiquette classes before we go to dinner sometime. YouTube. Just look at YouTube. <laughs> you find out how to hold it, how to cut your meat. <laughs> Last one, Miguel. If you could, if you had the opportunity to go back in time to, let's say, the first day that you went down an entrepreneurial path, what advice would you give yourself? Wow. Have I thought about that one a bunch of times? Um, I think, well, I actually said it earlier in the, um, in, in, in the, in the podcast, uh, you don't get to have pride. Uh, that doesn't mean that you don't get to have uh, pride of craftsmanship. It means that uh, don't have a chip on your shoulder uh, when, you, when you're raising capital, when you're, when you're asking for things. Uh, be humble, be open, um, and, uh, and listen. Um, you got to get your ego out of the way and don't, don't think that you always have to be talking. I love it. Well, we've given our audience plenty to listen to today, Miguel. So mm-hmm. hope it was uh, valuable. It was. I, I think it was, and there's plenty for uh, for our listeners to uh, to take away from it. Um, so, Miguel, uh, we really appreciate you being on today. I wanted to give you the opportunity to plug uh, whatever you'd like uh, for our listeners to uh, be aware of or uh, that, uh, that you'd like to share with uh, the audience before we close out the show. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, thank you for having me uh, on the show. Uh, thanks for uh, allowing me to, to sort of uh, share some of the lessons that I've learned. Um, I, I would say that the, the things that I would plug – um, of course, the Arizona Innovation Challenge, uh, it's become something of a mainstay, happens in the spring and in the fall. We're currently in the application window for the AIC until the 4th of September. Um, and then the next one will come around in the spring around uh, February, so look for that. Um, I'd also say Money Week. Uh, we're, t- we're targeting uh, that first week in November. I think it's the 2nd to the 5th. Um, I'm still fine-tuning the details on that, but that's what we're looking at. Uh, and where should people go to keep up with the latest on this? Uh, azcommerce.com. Um, go to the uh, the news and events section, uh, click on events, and we have listed there all of the various things uh, that we know about uh, going on in the ecosystem from uh, happy hours, networking events, uh, AIC application workshops, uh, venture madness uh, application windows, all of that stuff. That's a great, great uh, new source that we have since uh, since March. Right. And yeah. hopefully we'll get the Startup State Z podcast on that uh, list of resources, too, not too long from now. Exactly. Absolutely. Great. Uh, OK, Miguel. Well, again, uh, really appreciate you having you on today. Excellent, excellent uh, points to uh, to deliver for our audience here. And we'll have you back on one of these days to mm-hmm. put your more your entrepreneur head on. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Miguel. Don't forget, again, at Startups A to Z is our handle. So follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also your podcast library of choice. See you later. Thanks for listening. 